0: So the reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 1 to 21. That can be found on page 529 of the Church Bibles or on the screen. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary but not from outside the holy place and they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned round and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth, to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built, so that my name might be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for your word. This is uh, an amazing piece of scripture, one that perhaps we're not familiar with. And so we ask that you'd help us to love you with our minds and we ask that you would teach us And you would help make your living word to us through your spirit come alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, and for the reality of that to be seen. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All Christians long for this, that on earth... Uh, people treat God as God, that people would, would turn to him in repentance and faith. They would embrace in faith the, the, the saviour he has sent. They would be f- set free from sin and judgment and that they would live all of their lives in worship of God and of Christ the King in the strength and power of the Spirit. We long for this. We long for our world to be right uh, like this and for God to be honoured like this. We desire it. We pray for it. Jesus teaches us to pray for it. And the value to us of 1 Kings chapters 5 to 9 is that for a brief moment, they they open for us this moment in human history. This is the curtain of this moment in human history when God's kingdom was on earth, where God's will was done on earth as in heaven. Almost. Almost. Solomon's kingdom in the ancient city of Jerusalem is a picture to us of the kingdom of God in the heavenly Jerusalem. Because where can we go to see what would the heavenly Jerusalem look like? You can't go to the present city of Jerusalem. You go there. The streets certainly are not paved with gold. It's not a city where wholesale the nations come to worship God. In the place of Solomon's temple on the exact site is now an Islamic mosque, right? If you want to picture what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven... We have to go back, back to the time of Solomon. Now, over the last two weeks, we've learned how God established Solomon as a king and then his wise rule over Israel. Your kingdom come. Well, it did come. Your will be done. It was done. Next week, we'll hear of the power and the glory of Solomon's kingdom. But today, God tells us that what made the kingdom of God under Solomon so glorious When heaven was on earth, and then also it tells us why on earth it wouldn't last, why it would fall apart. There was this brief moment when things were glorious. Well, what was it like when heaven was on earth? What was it that made that kingdom of Solomon so glorious? Well, first of all, the son of David built God's temple. Solomon sends word to the king of Tyre. In chapter 5, verse 3, Tyres like um, Wall Street, um, New York, right on the coast, Phoenician trading place. Verse, chapter 5, verse 3, You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore... To build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son whom I put on the throne in your place will build the temple for my name. And so that's what Solomon did. With all the wisdom that God gave him, Solomon, David's son, the son of David, he built the Lord a temple. Now the Lord hadn't had a temple before. David had had his palace. Let me see if I can get a picture. Whoa. Going back, there we go. David had had his palace, but the Ark of the Lord, that gold-covered box holding the Ten Commandments that symbolised God's presence and God's rule, the place of atonement, the Ark had remained in a tent. Now, God wasn't bothered by this. God had never asked for a temple. But when David had on his heart the desire to build one, God made a promise and he said, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. And God said, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And that, friends, is what made Solomon's kingdom glorious. That's what made the kingdom of Solomon the kingdom of God. Because Solomon, the son of David, built God's temple. Now, of course, we know that another son of David came after Solomon named Jesus. And Jesus Christ also built God's temple, not a temple built of stone in Jerusalem. Of course, that temple has been destroyed. God is not interested in that. But the real temple, the real temple of God, which Jesus said was his body, the church. Paul says to the Corinthian church, do you not know that you yourselves are? are god 's temple one Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen, which means that if you now you were looking for heaven on earth, where would you look? You would look here because god 's temple on earth are the men and the women and the boys and girls who place their lives in jesus hands and who are his church we are god 's temple, and it 's this temple that jesus the the son of David, he is committed to building, right? Solomon built built a temple in his time. Jesus, the son of David, he is committed to building this temple. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is Jesus' firm promise. And that's what we were praying for last week. Uh, It was fantastic, wasn't it? 60 people on Sterling Oval praying that God would build his church here as he said he would. What's this mean for us? It means that we should greatly value being part of Christ's church. Now, maybe when you think of heaven on earth, you know, <laughs> you hear me saying, well, it's us, it's here. Maybe you raise an eyebrow at that. Um, I'm sure those people serving in Solomon's temple might have had their issues too. But this is where God has promised that he will work. This is where the son of David, Jesus, is building his temple. This is it. And therefore, it's worth being committed, isn't it? It's worth having buy-in to this place, this group of people, which we pray God will expand in number. So the first thing that made Solomon's kingdom glorious was that the son of David built God's temple. The second thing was that the temple wasn't an ordinary building. The temple building itself was glorious, and it, it was glorious because it had to befit God's glory, It was magnificently decked out. You know, in size, the temple was roughly about the size of this this hall, maybe a little larger. Not enormous, but to stand and to look at it, it inspired awe. Um, It was made of dressed stone, each stone precisely cut on site at the quarry so as to fit seamlessly together. Its inside walls were lined with cedar from floor to ceiling, stone was very common then, cedar uh, was rare. Cedar was the valued product. And inside it was lined with cedar beautifully and flowers and goods and palms were beautifully carved into the wood and get this, the whole interior was then overlaid with gold, the whole lot, all the walls, all the floors. It's splendour if you looked at it. It would have taken your breath away. The inner sanctuary, which would house the ark, would have been off limits to us, but, you know, we can imagine it. Uh, There were two cherubim um, made from olive wood, each with its wings spread out uh, so that side by side, their outside wings touched the walls, their inside wings touched each other in the middle. It was spectacular. It was glorious. And they were all overlaid with gold again. And then Solomon made uh, the doors. Um, There are the cherubim. Solomon made the doors to match, uh, sorry, to the inner sanctuary and the main hall, intricately carved, and again overlaid front and back with hammered gold. The whole thing, from start to finish, took seven years. It involved more than 150,000 workers. Think about that from the foreman to the stone cutters to the tree fellers to the carriers to the craftsmen. And that was just the building, which says nothing of the temple trappings and furnishings, which take up most of chapter 7. Now, that description may not light your fire, but the detail, the detail is staggering about pomegranate carvings that encircle the tops of the pillars, the handles of the movable stands, the gourd pattern under the lip of the bronze sea, which stands on 12 bronze bulls i like this sort of detail and maybe for you it's tempting you know to read it and get bored but god's not bored by that detail he delights in it this is not meant to make us yawn the detail is meant to dazzle us solomon had so many things made it was impossible to weigh it all the centerpieces were those two enormous bronze pillars which stood at the temple entrance. They were so impressive, they had names. Jachin and Boaz. Jachin, he establishes Boaz. In him, there is strength. When you looked at them, you remembered those two solid aspects of God's character. God's promise, God's power. And on that foundation, you walked in. Um, the temple Solomon made was extravagant. It was over the top more splendid than any other building, even than Solomon's palace, which took 13 years to build, not seven. But that only gets 12 verses of airplay. It's sandwiched between 38 verses on the temple and 38 verses on the temple furnishings. Obviously, Solomon's glory as as a king, great though it was, came in second to the surpassing glory of God. And if we think the whole thing holy to extravagant, its splendour was entirely appropriate for the God of glory who would dwell in it. Well what of God's temple on earth today? What if when his temple, his church, is gathered together in Christ and God's Spirit is with us? How is it that God's temple fittingly reflects the splendour of God's glory? Well, the answer is that all the functions of the temple are fulfilled when we meet. First of all, there is worship, hearing the word of God, speaking and singing praise to God, prayer to God, worship of God. Second, this is a place of repentance and confession and forgiveness. There's forgiveness of sin and there's assurance through faith in Jesus' blood offered once for all. And third, there's holiness, which means that we give ourselves to God to be useful to him. But we're also very mindful also not to grieve the spirit of God, but to maintain unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We don't want to undo what God has made. And fourthly, there is witness. The temple was a witness to the nations, and this is meant to be a place Of witness as well, which is why it's so right to invite people to come to church. When we look at all the effort and cost that Solomon gave to create a temple befitting God's glory, you know, it ought to make us think about what we bring in ourselves when we come to church. You know, I was encouraged to hear that people are reading the Bible before they come. We should come with our hearts prepared if we can. And if if they're not, don't worry, Jesus still rose from the dead. He'll still do his work. But it's fitting for us to come with minds that are engaged instead of minds that casually wander off or flick through our phone and check out how our eBay is doing while we're in church. That is not honouring to God. We we should come with a desire to serve one another. It shouldn't be all about us. We want to serve God. We want to serve Christ. We want to serve his body, his people, instead of thinking in a consumer mindset that I'm just here to get all my needs met. This is an act of worship. It took Solomon a lot of grunt to get the temple going, seven years of building. And all that work that Solomon did, it was, you know, it was only preparation for the big moment the big moment in chapter 8, seven years in the waiting. In chapter 8, Solomon summons all of Israel's leaders into his presence to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant and to bring it from the tent into the temple. Countless sheep and cattle were sacrificed. They were countless. There were so many, they couldn't be counted. And then the priests carry the ark inside into the inner sanctuary and they place it there with the cherubim spreading out their wings over the ark and then something astounding happens. Look with me, chapter 8, verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord Filled his temple. God, the living God of the heavens, took up residence. He was there. He was there. Could you imagine it? Imagine being in that place. The cloud of God's glory. He was there. The God who made the heavens. His glory was visible in the cloud, yet it was hidden. The cloud was dark. Suddenly he was there. He was knowable, but he wasn't. What a difference when Jesus came and the cloud of God's glory shone brightly, not darkly, on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. In Jesus you see God's glory shines brightly. God is truly knowable through God the Son. But even then, you know, we cannot fathom everything about God. Solomon knew it. Look at verse 27 of chapter 8. Not even the highest heavens could contain the Lord, how much less this temple, for that alone... Solomon knew the Lord was to be worshipped. But of course there was another reason. Solomon, when the the Lord's glory filled the temple, he was blown away in that the Lord had shown himself totally unique compared to any other God of any other nation round about. Why? Because God had come and filled the temple with his glory in fulfilment of a promise. He kept it. You know, in the ancient world, the gods of the other nations never made promises, and they certainly didn't keep them. But uniquely, the Lord does. Chapter 8, verse 23, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised And with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. And you see this great, faithful, unfathomable, glorious, powerful, promise-keeping God is the God who condescends to dwell in a temple built by Solomon. And that's what made Solomon's kingdom so glorious. God was in the midst of her, just as he is in our midst now through the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. So... When you come to church, do you come expecting to meet God? And you think, no, I come expecting to meet the normal people, (laughs) you know, the people I see every week. (laughs) Sometimes I I must confess, I forget what makes this meeting special. You know, what makes this meeting special is that God is here. I I forget because I can't see him, you see. We can't see him, but we can hear him. Because the words of the Bible are his words. And when I explain them, I'm just the mouthpiece. But I am the mouthpiece, you see. And the same Spirit of God who breathed out these words and preserves them is still alive and present to make his word alive and active in our lives. I have lost count of the number of times after I've preached, I've been at the door and someone will have come out and said, how did you know that about me? You spoke right to my life, and I think I didn't know. But the Spirit knew, and He was guiding me in my preparation. And the Word of God is living and active. And God takes this ancient Word and makes it alive, and He drives it home. He speaks to us, you see. God is in our midst. And we keep on having having to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us that God is in our midst? You know, for average Israelite, having God dwell in their midst meant that they could pray to God directly, that God would see, that God would listen. Listen to what Solomon asks of God regarding the temple. Verse 29, he says, may your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. In Solomon's prayer to God in chapter 8, Solomon goes through scenario after scenario of what will happen to the Israelites. When one man wrongs his neighbour, when Israel has been defeated in battle because they've sinned against God when God shuts the heavens and withholds the rain because they've sinned against him, when famine or plague comes on the land or when an enemy besieges the cities, when foreigners hear God's name and and pray to God, when Israel goes to war and prays to the Lord, verse 46, when Israel sins against God for there's no one who does not sin and the Lord becomes angry with them and gives them over to the enemy who then takes them into exile. He's not too optimistic, is he? He's got a very healthy understanding of sin. Solomon goes through all the scenarios and in each case he says from now on when prayers are made towards this temple which has been built for your name and when those who are praying towards this temple genuinely turn back and say we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly and if they turn back with all their heart and soul then Lord God from heaven your dwelling place answer their prayers hear Forgive, restore them. 1 Kings 8 verse 52. May your eyes be open to your servants, please, and to the plea of your people Israel. And may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. Hear, forgive, restore. Do you know what? The Lord God answered yes. Chapter 9 verse 3. I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What does it mean for us that God is present not in the rubble of Jerusalem but in his temple today, in his church? It means that the church, well, church ought to be a time for us to repent. It ought to be a time for us to come back to God. It's important that when we meet together, we confess our sins. We do it individually. We do it corporately because God promises that his eyes and heart will always be towards his temple, his church. Church is not a time to pretend. Sometimes we get that so wrong, don't we? We can be honest in our lives every other day, but we pretend when we come to church. That's not so. Church is a place, a time to be honest. It's not a time to play being religious. It's a time to be real before God. So that if God brought us down because of our sin, now is the time when we gather together in the name of Christ for us to turn to God and confess that he may hear, that he may forgive, that he may restore. God's committed to doing that. That is what made Solomon's uh, kingdom so glorious. The son of David built God's temple. The temple befitted God's glory. God was in the midst of her. And if you know the next line in that hymn, she shall not be moved. Well, Solomon's kingdom did move, didn't it? It's not around today. Solomon covered all the scenarios of what would happen if others turned from God. But what would happen if the king turned from God? Solomon left that one out in his prayer. Maybe he already knew the answer. It was a notable omission. Back in chapter 6, verse 11, God said to Solomon, As for this temple, if you are careful to obey me, your kingdom will last forever. Well, when God answers Solomon's long prayer, he says as much again, Obey me and you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But God says... If you or your sons turn away from me, if you go off and serve other gods and worship them, if you jump into bed with other gods after I've come and lived in your house, I'll cut off Israel from the land I've given them. I'll reject this temple I've consecrated for my name. And Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff. You see the point? The permanence of Solomon's kingdom depended upon the obedience of the king. If he and his sons after him stayed true to God as David did, it would last forever. If they shirked God, he'd drop them like a firecracker. It was all up to the king. Now in two weeks' time we'll look at Solomon's behaviour and we'll see that it's no wonder the kingdom didn't last. So when we search today for heaven on earth and we pray God's will be done on earth as in heaven... We don't look to human kingdoms, to those ruled by sinners like you and me. We look to the kingdom of the greater Son of David, the king who did walk in faithful obedience and through his obedience did secure a kingdom that would last forever because Jesus did say the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A kingdom which has a temple on earth, the church which Jesus promised us he is building now to reflect the very glory of God. Um, I hope you love your church. I hope you do. Not because of the service or because of the music, but because the glory of God dwells in his church. Because Christ, through his obedience, have, has, has made her permanent. That is her glory I hope you love your church because it's a place where sinners can turn back to God and be forgiven and be restored by him. That is true glory. The glory of the temple Jesus Christ is building is that God dwells in us. It is permanent. People can come back to God. Let's give thanks. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have lifted our eyes to the importance of this body, and this gathering. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would cherish it and we ask that you would look upon us, that you would hear, that you would forgive and that you would restore. And we hold you, Lord Jesus, to your promise that you will build your church and we pray humbly that you will build it in this place through us. In Jesus' name, amen.